this week on the Back Table Podcast. You know, everybody always asks, which one should I use? How many should I get? How am I going to deal with soft plaque? How am I going to deal with calcified plaque? How am I going to deal with ISR or the combo thereof? And pick your devices on that. And whatever you choose, become an expert at it. You don't have to have all of them. I mean, look at Omar. He's doing great work. He's got a couple devices. You know, I only use a couple devices too. You only use a couple devices when you do use them. So I think, you know, most people, that's how you have to function. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Backtable, your source for all things endovascular and more. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on any platform like Spotify or even our website, backtable.com. You can follow us on social media like Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and keep up with the latest updates and give us feedback through comments. So we really like hearing from you guys, so please comment. First, a quick word from our sponsors. Treating patients with peripheral tail disease is rarely straightforward. The right atherectomy device should be versatile enough to help you meet these challenges. Rotorex atherectomy system is uniquely designed to help you address these complex challenges by modifying and removing plaque and thrombus from peripheral arterial lesions. This device is not for use in cardiopulmonary, coronary, cerebral, iliac, renal, or venous vasculature. To learn more, visit bd.com rotorex. Click the link in the podcast notes for instructions for use for indications, contraindications, hazards, warnings, and precautions. For more than a decade, Reflow Medical has designed and engineered medical devices that respond to unmet clinical needs. The Wingman Crossing Catheter with its unique extendable beveled tip and an expanded indication for CTOs. The Specs LP, created to meet the need for a low-profile version of the Specs shapeable support catheter. And the new line of core catheters that answers the call for a suite of effective tools to use in challenging PCI procedures. Now, back to the show. I'm Sabine as your host today, and I'd like to welcome two very special guests and great friends of mine, Dr. Omar Saleh from Saleh Medical Radiology right here in SoCal, and Dr. Srini Tamala from Florida Vascular Specialist in South Florida. Welcome, guys. Thanks, Sabine. Appreciate it. Thanks for Glad having me. Glad to be Sabine. here, guys. Yeah, I'm happy to have you guys. I mean, we're, you know, today we're going to, we're going to delve into this world of atherectomy. Um, <laughs> you know, some people think it's a very controversial procedure and some people think it's near standard of care. So we really want to get all sorts of perspectives. And so, yeah, I'd like to kind of um, have our listeners get to know more about your guys' background and your practices. Let's start with you, Srini. Sure. I mean, I've, I've been doing this about 20 years now. You know, I started off originally in a standard private practice, you know, group with the diagnostic radiologists and interventional radiologists. And then after about, you know, 15 years, I, I was in a, a university setting uh, as their director of limb salvage. And then now I'm part of Florida Vascular Specialist, which is really a, a primary outpatient vascular practice here in South Florida. So I kind of have a lot of different hats I've worn over the years. So Yeah, you've got all perspectives right there. That's great. Yeah. What about you, Omar? Uh, I've been doing, uh, I've been out for like 10 years. And I think for like the first three to four years, I was in a, a traditional diagnostic uh, IR uh, private practice, uh, serving uh, a few hospitals and doing mostly uh, inpatient type of IR. Then I, you know, I did uh, some, I, I broke off and did my own thing where I was doing uh, night radiology with your group, Sabine. 
and yep. then started and kind of got how we into, know each other yeah yeah and that's and <laughs> that's got how... into the obl side of things like getting to the outpatient vascular and or like other uh interventional procedures in the outpatient setting and then i kind of uh started just doing my own thing as a solo ir uh where i do mostly i would say 95 percent obl asc and then maybe five percent hospital and diagnostic work and that, i've been doing that for like the last two years great great well that's awesome so you know especially with something with atherectomy it's really nice to have perspectives from all sorts of practices you know mine is a hospital-based private practice and uh, so I think from all three of us, we can really delve into this, this topic and kind of get into the nitty gritty. Um, so, you know, most of our listeners probably know what atherectomy is, but Omar, can you kind of um, just remind everyone or explain what exactly is atherectomy? So atherectomy is a procedure uh, that's designed to remove plaque or thrombus from the artery. And then there's all these different types of atherectomy, which we can kind of get into where it's rotational, orbital, laser, excisional, directional. So, uh, and I have experience with like a few of those. I don't use all these different di types of devices, but that, that's basically what you're trying to do is uh, debulk the lesion in the artery, uh, uh, you know, where it's, uh, or modify the plaque where it's, you get a better result. Uh, in terms of uh, luminal gain. What, what do you mean by like modifying the plaque? I mean, there's debulking, which you're, I mean, you're taking out the plaque. Right. Um, like, uh, for example, like if you think of like CSI orbital atherectomy, you're using like a, a diamond crown to kind of oscillate and kind of it, it uh, sands the calcium, the intimal and the medial calcium, where it kind of cracks it, cracks it, I guess, in the sense where when you do a balloon angioplasty, you can dilate the artery in a better sense where you don't have to crank it up to su such a high atmosphere, such a high pressure where uh, you get better result and like maybe, uh, maybe less recoil. Got it. Yeah. Srini, uh, Omar mentioned different types. What, what are the different types of atherectomy we generally talk about? Yeah, I mean, I think if you think of atherectomy in general, the idea is vessel prep, right? The idea is to try to return a diseased blood vessel, in this case, an artery to a, a more normal compliance. You, you obviously never get to, you know, hundred percent of normal, but the idea is to get it closer. Uh, you're obviously trying to get luminal gain as well. Uh, so that like Omar was saying, you can achieve really, uh, an optimized lumen with really low pressure angioplasty, which then obviously we know from data reduces your chance for dissection, perforation, and, and just overall stent usage, right? Um, when you think of atherectomy in terms of the four main types, there's obviously like Omar said, orbital. So that's the classic CSI or diamondback rotational jet stream photo, uh, the rotoblader kind of come to mind. Phoenix is the other one that, you know, classic rotational atherectomy. Um, obviously there's ablative, which is laser. And then finally there's directional, right? And directional is kind of the Hawk, silver Hawk, Hawk one, turbo Hawk, those types of you know, brand name devices, basically. And, you know, with directional, you can have it, you know, image guided, not image guided. You know, the uh, Avenger uh, Pantheris yeah. is a image guided atherectomy. So that's kind of how I think of atherectomy in terms of big categories like, and what I'm trying to, uh, to achieve. You know, I, I always have trouble. What's the difference between rotational and orbital? Yeah. So, I mean, orbital obviously is, it's, think of it as 
the the uh, the crown itself is rotating in an orbit like around a planet mm. so it's within the vessel rotating in an orbit versus rotational think of it more like a drill bit right it's drilling through whatever you're trying to treat so that's the kind of the way i conceptualize or visualize it you know yeah so okay that's that's a great kind of you know intro as far as different types um you know as far as and this is a loaded question Omar, in your practice, you know, you, what is kind of your overall indication for atherectomy? Is it something that you're always going to do? Or is there something, you know, in the angiogram or something that makes you want to do it? What, what are some of your indications? I, I do use atherectomy a lot. Um, but, you know, I make my decision based on the angiogram. And I usually do a lot of intravascular ultrasound, uh, IVIS, right? Okay. So, well, what we'll do is you will do the angiogram and, you know, if we see uh, a blocked artery, um, if we'll try to cross it and get, and then if we can pass an IVIS through, then we'll kind of see what's going on. And, uh, you know, within the lumen, if it's like a lot of thrombus or non-calcified plaque, things like that, I probably will use, uh, or, or calcium, um, I'll use, uh, then I'll, I'll use an atherectomy device to kind of help uh, treat it uh, because I think, I've I've done both. I've done just angioplasty and stent alone and atherectomy, and I've I've gotten better results with the atherectomy. So my indication, I mean, it's pretty. <laughs> I mean, we we will use a lot of atherectomy if we see some, you know, really bad stenosis or uh, disease uh, on the angiogram or IVIS. Yeah, I, you said something pretty interesting and and um, about you know, stenting and stuff after some, a lot of times, if you look up atherectomy, if you look up a lot of papers, they'll say one of the indications is if you're trying to not stent, is, is that something now, Srini, that you kind of, are you trying to do atherectomy to avoid stenting or is it actually kind of like Omar said that you get a better result, uh, post stenting? What would you, I mean, I, I think that's where part of the controversy is, right? I mean, is, is atherectomy really indicated, right? There are many that believe that there's no good data to give you an absolute indication that says you have to do atherectomy. Um, obviously, uh, that's where you have kind of two camps. And then there are those that believe that, yeah, we should do atherectomy. Um, I think what Omar says is spot on. I think IVIS helps direct kind of atherectomy choice or whether you're going to do it or not. In, in, in most cases, in my opinion, I guess that's, you know, that's my opinion, obviously. And, and I think, you know, Ivis helping in terms of plaque composition, you know, do you have soft plaque, calcified plaque? Is it mild, moderate, severe? Do you have thrombus? You know, those are all the kind of things that will help kind of direct you towards what type of atherectomy you're going to use, I think, in many cases. Regarding the no stent zone, you know, obviously most people classically think of the popliteal artery, especially behind the knee joint, below the knee, so the P2, P3 segments. And in general, the popliteal artery as a whole, as a no stent zone, in other words, with all the forces from twisting, bending and so forth and rotation, you know, you kind of want to avoid stenting. And so some people make the argument that, look, that's where vessel prep is the most important. And we really should be doing really good optimized, uh, atherectomy in those, in those areas. Again, you can argue about what type of atherectomy, but they'll say we should do some type of atherectomy for good vessel prep so that we don't have to stent. And I think if you look at all the data on atherectomy, one thing is clear is you definitely have a lower bailout stent rate compared to when you don't do it. 
whether it helps you for primary patency, TLR, amputation, free survival, limb salvage, and, you know, future outcomes that, that really hasn't been borne out, I think definitively at this point. Got it. And I mean, you, you've mentioned this a couple of times and I think maybe we, I was going to save it for later, but like where, where does the data lay for, for atherectomy? I mean, that's probably the first question people ask when they try to debate atherectomy. Um, um, what, what data is out there to support it? or to not support it? Yeah, I mean, I think part of the problem is that, you know, with atherectomy, you don't have any good, really good randomized control trials, right? You don't have good RCTs. You have retrospective analyses, prospective studies. You've got some registries, you know, as in the Liberty 360, which shows you, you know, in a lot of these studies, which show you that there's, there definitely, there's, you know, in terms of feasibility and safety, they're quite good. But in terms of all the other things, does it really make a difference in, in terms of outcomes? I think that's the one thing where both camps are always having a debate and a discussion. I think where we do have RCTs is in ISR, right? I mean, technically with ISR, you know, laser atherectomy with Excite, you know, has been shown. But again, the numbers weren't huge. So, you know, again, that's where the debate comes into. So I think one thing we need is, and, and we don't have head-to-head comparisons between a lot of these devices, you know, is orbital better than rotational, better than laser, better than yep. directional? We don't know. So I think the data is where we really need to kind of improve on at this point. Yeah. Well, you know, um, Omar, there's lots of different devices out there, right? You, you mentioned a couple of them. Uh, I think Srini mentioned a couple too. If, um, in your practice, do you have all of them available or do you have a couple? Um, in my practice, I, we use mainly Phoenix, uh, Rotorex and CSI. And, uh, and, and, you know, everyone has their own reason to use their device for, for me personally, we use a lot of IVIS. So we have an incentive, uh, to kind of get the Phoenix uh, catheters as like, you know, in like a bundle package or, you know, things like that. So in the OBL, you're always trying to figure out how to get certain devices at a cheap price and that, and you want something that was safe and that works. So for us, uh, Phoenix was a really good choice in terms of ease of ease of use, usability and, uh, safety, uh, it has a pretty low embolization rate. Um, Rotorex was a great, uh, so, you know, in the OBL, um, I was, encountering a lot of ISR, you know, um, where mm-hmm. we didn't have laser, uh, available to us at the time. So I was using Jetstream back in the day and that's like a seven French sheet and you'd need like a filter right. wire and things like that. Yeah. So Rotorex, when Rotorex came, that was a game changer for us. So in sense, yeah. it's like a lower profile, six French, uh, but I use it a lot for ISR. Uh, and, um, and then for CSI, I usually use like the micro crown and treat the really mm-hmm. calcified arteries below the knee. So those, that's kind of my, that's kind of the main three that I use in my personal practice. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, you know, in our practice, again, it's, it's Rotorex and CSI. That's really, um, our, our practice is kind of centered around those. Srini, what about you? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good model. I mean, we, obviously, you know, we can't have everything, right? And, and sometimes yeah. when you have all of them, you start getting, there's a confusion that happens in terms of well, when do I use these? What, what's my protocol? What's my algorithm? And so, you know, I kind of agree hundred percent. I think below the knee, I think orbital atherectomy works real well. You know, I think it's a great device for that. 
I think the other one to have, you know, you got to be able to treat ISR like Omar said. And I think Rotorex, BD Rotorex makes good sense, especially their larger catheters have some level of aspiration, right? And then uh, laser is good too, whether it's the Philips laser or the angiodynamics laser. Obviously, the larger uh, catheters on, on the angio-D laser had some aspiration ability as well. So for us, you know, it's been laser, you know, above knee and CSI uh, or orbital atherectomy below the knee. I think, you know, if you can't get laser, I like the BD Rotorex device as well. You know, you know, full disclosure, I'm not a consultant. I have no financial interest in BD at all. And so I think uh, that's, a, that's another good device. But, you know, again, you talk to different operators and Omar knows this well, you talk to different people and they'll tell you, no, I like to use this device because it's the best device for this. I like to use this the best. I think, again, we don't have any data. And so I think it's very difficult to say one's better than the other. Yeah. I think that's, that's the problem a lot with endovascular. There's so many tools sometimes to do. I mean, I remember I struggled when yeah. I just started with doing um, peripheral vascular disease and people are telling me I use this wire, that wire, this wire, that wire, this wire is the best, right? And then you get a little confused as to what to do. So with anything, what I've always done is just stick with, you know, something and learn it well and, and learn how the feeling is. So like how Omar and you mentioned Rotorex, you guys have had really good, you know, results. You keep on using it. You learn the different, you know, peculiarities of that laser. We have, I don't use it that often. So now I, I don't know all the peculiarities and all of that. I think CSI, you know, I, I always tell people who ask me, what's the one, you know, if you need one, you know, type of atherectomy, you should definitely have, I think you need CSI in those calcified tibials a lot. I, I feel like that's been a great bailout um, uh, used to. You know, but, one, and one thing we should add, Sabine, you know, and uh, which I haven't mentioned is it's not as, not something you, that's really listed as an atherectomy device, but it's a vessel prep device, shockwave, right? Shockwave, yep. you know, intravascular lithotripsy. I mean, the problem is it gets paid in the hospital, it gets paid in the ASC, but you can't get reimbursed in the OBL at this point. And so that's the, the difficulty in the outpatient, you know, space that Omar is in, you know, for a long time now and what I'm, I'm getting into at this point and part of. So yeah. Another and one. now shockwave is not atherectomy, right? Omar, it, it, like you mentioned, atherectomy is, is um, debulking. I mean, we did talk about plaque modification. It's really solely plaque modification. Is that right? Right, right. Plaque, yeah. Deep, um, you're talking about uh, atherectomy, right? Shockwave. Or, yeah. Oh, shockwave. Shock, like yeah. Intravascular. Yeah. Shockwave, yeah. Intravascular lithotripsy. Yeah. Um, I don't have that much experience with shockwave. Um, like, like I said, you know, I don't do that much work in the hospital. I, I have it. I do have it in the OBL <laughs> and I've used it a couple of yeah. times on like uh, common femoral artery stenosis and things like that. Sure. Um, and like some yeah. of these sick patients, but you know, it's, uh, but yeah, it's, it's great. It, it, it does work, but the mechanism is just different, right? Like you're, uh, using like sound waves to like, sure. totally. Yeah. It's like, it's I don't cool. know what, it's integrate the calcium. <laughs> We'll, we'll go into it. I mean, we'll, we'll yeah. stick with atherectomy right now and touch on that. But um, what about, and this, this uh, you know, feel free to say whatever you want. I mean, any, any atherectomy you don't recommend, you've had a bad experience with. If, you know, if you don't have any or don't want to share, that's fine. Um, anything, Srini, that you have to say? 
I wouldn't say I've had a bad experience. I think it's it's like you said in, originally, Sabine. You know, you get used to certain devices and the comfort level in terms of how they feel. You know, kind of the pros and cons. You know, you understand what issues there are in terms of using them, in terms of uh, you know getting them mm-hmm. through lesions, advancing them through sheaths, different sizes, and, and things like that. And so, I haven't really had a bad experience. I think I've found some of them a little more cumbersome than others. Sure. But then again, you talk to people who use only that device and they're like, oh, this is the greatest thing on earth and I've had no problem at all. So I, I can't say I've had a, any any really big problems with any of them at this point. I mean, I'd love to see hear what uh, Omar has to say. Yeah, He's Omar, anything you have? Um, yeah, sure. I have like a love and hate relationship with CSI. Like, uh, you know, it's <laughs> awesome. It's awesome <laughs> when it works, but then, you know, like you're below the knee, you do a very delicate spin and then next thing you know, you have like no flow going down to your foot, right? And then you're like, you're spending the next two hours uh, with like a, you know, uh, tiny catheters uh, pumping uh, adenosine and and doing aspiration thrombectomy and stuff into these small uh, little branch vessels. So for me, um, I make sure, I mean, I kind of learned this and I mean, maybe other people don't have this type of experience, but what I do is if there's not a good outflow in the foot, you know, my, I I may not want to use CSI that, uh, you know, that aggressively, or I, I have a wire all the way down in the foot. So if I do use CSI and there's some issue with the flow, I can take a catheter all the way down to the pedal arteries and just aspirate whatever trash uh, is there. And then it usually works really well. But, um, you know, that may not be as forgiving if you're in like some perineal branch where they have those little tiny uh, uh, branches that are going to the ankle that, that could be supplying the patient's, uh, you know, pedal artery. So that, that, that's one of those things, uh, I've learned with CSI in terms of Rotorex, which I also use a lot. I would not recommend it like a calcified, uh, vessel so much because sometimes you'll, you'll feel that you're, you're trying to track it and you, you may feel some resistance, but it could lead to like a perforation. Uh, I think Rotorex is really good for ISR, and a lot like thrombus or like a lot of non-calcified plaque morphology things like that that's kind of been my experience and this is all anecdotal you know uh yeah but, but i've been doing I mean, omar brings oh sorry go, go ahead yeah. omar sorry yeah, about no, that. that's it yeah that, that's all i was gonna say yeah. good you know omar brings up a good point sabine you know i mean we really haven't talked about you know when do you use which device when and when you shouldn't right Mm-hmm. And, you know, with diabetes and CKD now, and, you know, you guys all see this, we're seeing tons of SAD, right? Small artery disease below the ankle where they just don't have a lot of runoff. And so I think a lot of these devices, you know, you have to be careful when the runoff is poor. You know, when you're talking about single vessel runoffs or no runoff, you know, you got to start thinking to yourself, okay, should I use atherectomy? If I do use it, what's the problem I'm going to be dealing with? Because all of these devices, they all embolize right? It might be a small percentage of the time, but they do embolize. And, you know, one of the, uh, um, the biggest things you got to worry about is that because that can really take a case that may take, you know, a half an hour and now all of a sudden make it a three hour case. And so, and the other problem too, is some of these devices don't work well in calcium and others do. So you kind of have to understand that distinction is, is this, and, and I think that's where Ibis, like Omar said, helps you tremendously you know, am I dealing with predominantly soft plaque where I want to use these types of devices? Am I dealing with just heavy calcification where I want to use these? Or do I have a combination and then have thrombus on top of it? Well, that's going to also direct you into a different device. So 
I think what Omar brought up is a really key point and really important for people trying to learn atherectomy. Yeah. It's a huge teaching point. It's exactly what I live by. If, if I have like a single vessel runoff and then that runoff, whether it's you know, the DP peters out or you've got tiny distal plantars and you're just, you just know that if you yeah. knock out like a little tiny, you know, 50 micron particle goes there, it's going to shut down everything. We've all had that water hammer effect post, you know, yeah, intervention. Yeah. And that basically yeah. is like your heartbeat yeah. just falling, <laughs> like bradycardia, you're like yeah. fall down. Yeah. So I agree. I actually, my practice, you know, unfortunately I don't do as much atherectomy as we probably should. Part of that has to do with the day is really busy and it adds some time, which we'll talk about. It's not necessarily the right thing to do, but what one of the things I always think about is, okay, if this person has a nice runoff and I can do it, then I'll do it. And, and so it, it's, it's, it's something that's a very good teaching point for all our listeners. BD understands that anything that can help to save time, space, and reduce complexity in the lab is essential. The Rotorex atherectomy system is simple to set up and easy to use with a small plug-and-play capital component and reusable handle that is easily draped. In a healthcare environment where costs matter, all device-related accessories are in each catheter set at no additional charge, including the Rotorex Guidewire. This device is not for use in cardiopulmonary, coronary, cerebral, iliac, renal, or venous vasculature. To learn more, visit bd.com slash rotorex. Click the link in the podcast notes for instructions for use for indications, contraindications, hazards, warnings, and precautions. One question I had, and, and, and some people comment, like with directional atherectomy, where you actually are uh, truly debulking a plaque, you're, 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 you're cutting it out. Is, is that damaging the endothelium, the intima? Are you actually causing more damage there or not? Um, you know, again, we don't have data, but any comments on that, either Omar or Srini? I mean, there's a few studies out there that talk about that if you cut into the adventitia, that your patency rates are reduced, right? And I think that was, again, shown by, again, you don't know how much of this, uh, there's no comparison, right? It was shown by a, a company that, that sells a directional atherectomy device with image guidance, right? So it was shown by them. Uh, there may be some other studies, but they showed that if you do cut into the adventitia, your restenosis rate is higher. So again, we don't have a head-to-head -head comparison with the other devices. And so, you know, I, I, I don't know if I can say anything really more about that. Maybe Omar has uh, something he can talk about. You know, don't have too much experience with the directional atherectomy devices. You know, that's just not something we've been doing in our practice. Uh, just, and, and that's not something because it's a bad device or anything like that. It's just because we are big. Uh, users of like Bard and Philip products or mm -hmm. CSI products. And so that's kind of what we're using. So, you know, don't have much experience or insight into some of the directional atherectomy devices. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, it's always a, a point of, of concern, but I think the technology has improved, but, but we'd have to really kind of have more data about that to, to know again. Yeah. Um, I don't know of anyone and you guys can comment on this who are only doing an atherectomy intervention, not followed by some sort of secondary intervention, whether it's POBA, DCB, or stenting. I mean, I mean no, one, no one is just doing atherectomy to, to your knowledge, correct? 
It's always followed by some yeah. sort of secondary intervention. So, you know, it might not really matter as much. Now, let, let's talk about technique a little bit. Um, a lot of times, you know, you get through your lesion, whether it's a high grade stenosis or an occlusion. And do you typically avoid angioplasty prior to doing an atherectomy? Or do you want to keep um, uh, as much potential contact for the atherectomy device? Omar, any, anything that you do, or do you go atherectomy followed by secondary intervention? Yeah, I would say 95% of the time, I'll probably do atherectomy first. I mean, the only time I think I would not do atherectomy is if the lesion is so tight that I can't even get like a small, I, I couldn't, I couldn't get the atherectomy device into, you know, through the, through the lesion. Right. And that's usually that's something like a long SFA occlusion or something like that, right? I may go in with like a tight, like a two millimeter balloon or something, just create a little space to kind of make sure everything goes smoothly. But most of the time I will just do atherectomy or like I would use my algorithms kind of like get through the lesion, IVIS, atherectomy, then angioplasty, then maybe IVIS again to see what's going on and then decide if it needs anything else, like, you know, additional balloon angioplasty or stenting, something like that. Okay. Okay. Srini, you too? What, what about you? Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of the problem, right? I mean, we, we all try to follow the IFUs and I'm sure those are pretty strict in terms of how you're supposed to do things based on their feasibility and safety data. But, you know, in practice, most of us, if, if we need to do atherectomy or some type of vessel prep, we may have to do an angioplasty, like Omar said, to get the device through, right? If you can't get it through, you don't want it to get stuck. So I think mm -hmm. quite a few operators do do angioplasty ahead of time just to, before they do the atherectomy. But they do, again, low pressure. They usually tend to use smaller balloons than the actual native vessel. I think Omar would agree on that. Yeah. You like two, you mentioned two millimeters. That's what kind two, of even go three. Yeah. The thought or, is you want to you know. keep as much contact of the device. Right. I mean, these devices, right. you know, you talked about orbital atherectomy being, you know, going in an orbit. So that creates the diameter. But a lot of these other yeah. devices like rotational, it's only the size of the catheter. Um, I mean, you can do like blades up and blades down on some mm -hmm. devices, stuff like that. One of the age-old questions people will always ask is, all right, Omar, you talked about getting through like an SFA occlusion and, you know, you can use IVIS to see if you're subintimal, true lumen, et cetera. What are your thoughts about atherectomy in the subintimal plane? I, I avoid atherectomy in the subintimal plane and that's where IVIS is so helpful for me, you know, but I've heard, I've heard both, you know, where people avoid the subintimal space or people do atherectomy in the subintimal space. But for me personally, I will use IVIS. And if I see, if I'm, if I see the subintimal plane, I'll probably avoid that. And that'll be reserved for just angioplasty or, you know, some type of device like attack or the stent, uh, where the true lumen would, with the disease would, is where I would just reserve the atherectomy in that area, just cause I don't want to have some kind of device, uh, complication where it gets stuck or, you know, <laughs> you know, some kind of issue like that. That's, that's yeah. my, you know, that's kind of my worry when I'm, when I'm trying to avoid that. So. Srini, yeah. same for you or, or do you, do you do yeah, more in the I mean, interval? I think in general, you know, we know that there's a higher rate for pseudoaneurysm formation and perforation and it kind of defeats the purpose, right? It's off label, right? For most of all these devices, these atherectomy devices to use them in the subintimal place. And, and if you think about it, when you've done a subintimal recanalization, you kind of, what are you prepping at that point? You know, I mean, there are some operators that will say, 
They still laser, they still CSI, et cetera. But I, I, I'm not in that camp. You know, I think if, if I'm subintimal for the most part, um, predominantly, and I mean subintimal, predominantly subintimal, sure. then I'll, I'll try to avoid atherectomy. Well, exactly. I was going to say, what about like this, like, you know, in the CKD patient, diabetic, you have this really diseased tibial. There's some subtotal occlusions, some focal occlusions. You get through it. Who, who knows if some parts are subintimal, sub right. or not, but there's a lot of calcium there. Um, right. Are you ivising Omar, like down to the distal tibial and something like that? Or are you, you proceeding with like a CSI, knowing that probably some of, some of your wire might be subintimal? Yeah, I'll try to take Ivis as far down as I can, you know, okay. um, just to have an idea what's going on. And it, and it also helps me to measure the vessel to see how, how aggressive I can be with the balloon, you know, after the atherectomy. So mm. uh, for that reason, I would probably, uh, like, I try, to, I try to use the Ivis as much as possible. That's great. And, yeah. Trini, you too? Yeah, and Sabine, you know, there's some, there's some anecdotal data right now that even when you're, you know, you've done a recanalization and you've gone in and out of the true lumen that if you do use orbital, that you end up just creating one big channel. But yeah. the risk is that it can still get stuck. And so I think, you know, that's really for the experienced operator who really understands the device and has, you know, some bailout options, you know, should, should it get stuck. But in general, um, I'll Ivis it just like Omar as far as I can to see if, uh, you know, what's going on. That's great. I mean, all these steps, I mean, take time. How do you, I mean, are you, I mean, Omar, you're saying pre-IVIS, post-atherectomy IVIS, maybe then post-stenting or angioplasty IVIS. Those are all big steps. I mean, is that, how much time is that adding to your guys' procedure? And um, is that, how do you address that situation? Well, I, I try not to do that many PAD cases in a day. I will, okay. like, I know some, some are some pretty high level operators will do like five or six. I'll probably stick to two or three just, yeah. just, just because I don't want to have that stress of like, you know, oh mm -hmm. my gosh, it's taking forever. Um, another thing I do, um, I don't know if every, who else does that, but I just use one wire. Okay. I'll get down to the foot. I'll put in a Viper wire and I do everything over that Viper wire, like 014 wire. I'll Ivis over it. I'll atherectomy. And it doesn't matter what atherectomy I use, I'll use Rotorex, Phoenix, or CSI over the same Viper wire. So my CSI rep's always probably thinking like, why is he ordering all these Viper wires? But anyways, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, and I'll, and I mean, I will do everything over that one wire and um, I'll angioplasty, I'll even use, I'll put stents over that wire. So, I mean, sure. that saves a lot of time because I'm not changing out wires and things like that. Yeah, uh, you know, just we just have to take really good care of not losing the wire, or like kinking the wire. But I think my the techs that I have are pretty good, where we take pretty good care of that little flimsy wire. But uh, that's that saves me a lot of time, you know, where we can do that. And I mean, that totally. I, mean, I don't know if that's something you guys do, or, but that that's helped me a lot with the timing. That's so. good. That's good. I mean, you did mention something. Um, really great is not to put too much into your schedule. Uh, that is the challenge that I face at a hospital-based yeah. uh, group where predominantly a lot of my cases are inpatient add-ons and the hospital administration is forcing us to try to get patients out of the hospital or, or whatnot. And yeah. we're trying to do as much. And, and that affects you know some of the things. So it affects some of my decision-making negatively 
where I may not, you know, pull out the IVIS there because I got through, let me angioplasty this, it's fine. And then, and then you come back and say, like, okay, well, it's no date, you know, there's all these stuff that you can think about and justify, but it's not the right thing. So in your guys' um, you know, office-based labs and, and surgical centers, it's kind of nice that you can control that type of schedule. I think it's a lot better um, procedurally, technically, and, and everything for the patient. Um, Shini, that's you know, something you're and, planning on doing stuff? Or? Yeah, you know, and, and Sabine, you know, I think that's the argument, the counter-argument, right? People always say the same thing. Does IVIS really make a difference? There's no real true study that says it makes a huge difference in outcomes. Does it make a difference in the acute treatment, in the acute result? I think we could say yes. Same thing with atherectomy. People are like, why? It's expensive. You know, you got to use devices. You're adding risk. It takes time, cost, et cetera. It's the same argument. And so, you know, again, but then there are those that'll say, well, in the acute treatment, it allows me to be successful in my treatment that day. Whereas others will argue, well, you know, it does make a difference. Rutherford class has improved this. But again, those are registries, right? No RCTs, no head-to-head comparisons for the most part with large numbers. And so, again, I, I see both camps and I get it. But I think our model, because we're very big, you know, and I'm a big believer, just like Omar, in vessel prep, in mm-hmm. plant, plaque composition and modification or removal in some some way, whether that's laser, ablative, you know, rotational, orbital, whatever it's going to be, because I do think it allows me to treat and stent less. It allows me to do lower pressure angioplasty and have a lower risk of perforation and dissection. So that's kind of the way I think about it, that, you know, it definitely helps me in that respect. But can I, you know, say that the data says it's the, it's the best thing to do in terms of long-term outcomes? I mean, not for the most part, right? Yeah, no, no, that's a good point. I mean, um, we talked about, you, you talked about these complications like perforation and stuff. We talked about embolization. Something I forgot to ask is, I mean, are you using, are any of you using embolization uh, EPDs um, during your, during these interventions, like a, a spider or NAV6, or have you gone away from using a embolization protection device? Omar? So I used to use an embolization protection device when I was using Jetstream uh, for like a long segment occlusion, ISR type case. Um, but uh, I have not had an issue uh, with Rotorex uh, with uh, like a bad uh, distal embolization complication. And I would say I've probably done over like 50 or something and I haven't had any issues with Rotorex uh, okay. with ISR, treating like ISR or something like that. Obviously, um, and so I, I don't use a filter. I feel like sometimes filter can cause comp- complications themselves or things like that. You know, you try to, and, and it and it takes a lot of time. So, I mean, I personally don't use filter, um, filter devices, but um, I do have uh, techniques. Like if I do see distal emboli, um, you know, I have some stuff in my lab where I can go and try to, try to aspirate it out or something like that. So that's kind of, that's what okay. I, that's what I do. So. I think that's one of the benefits. I mean, uh, again, this is not a Rotorex, um, you know, commercial or anything, but I think that's <laughs> been a very, you know, a very great uh, addition to the to the atherectomy market here. Um, Srini, you mentioned you use a lot of laser. When I was doing laser for ISR, I actually had a couple embolizations. Are you? And then I started using an EPD. Are, is that just operator failing, or is that? Um, <laughs> 
is that something you do? I, 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 yeah. I don't know the right answer. No, I mean, again, you know, we all know this. I mean, all these devices have problems of some type in terms of distal embolization. Again, the percentage is small, but it's real and it's there and it can be catastrophic as we all know. Uh, I think what's made a, a big difference, and I misspoke previously, but the, the Rotorex has aspiration ability regardless of the size, I think. Right, Omar? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it all the yeah, catheters? I mean, if I, yeah, there's like a six-inch. Or is it just a large? I think it's the larger ones, right? There's a, the larger two sizes, I thought. I can't remember offhand, but we'll have to look, in, look that I up. I think there's right. just two sizes. I think both yeah. of them do. They both do. Okay. So with laser, obviously the Philips laser has no aspiration ability. I have seen distal embo with that, especially with ISR. Um, I'm not so sure it's the laser causing the embo. I think it's you laser and you have that goopy stuff that's in the lumen. You do an angioplasty and it, you know, it embolizes distally. So people always recommend it, run it multiple times through there to kind of remove as much of that and mm-hmm. vaporize as much as you can. Um, I think with the angiodynamics laser, in that case, the larger catheters have aspiration ability. So that adds another, you know, safety component when you're using it. As far as distal protection devices, you know, I'm kind of in Omar's camp. You know, if they have really poor runoff, I'll start thinking about it. If I have a long segment occlusion or a heavily diseased calcified vessel, I'll think about it as well. Um, you know, there's one paper out of Mount Sinai in New York. I think it was the uh, Prakash Krishna in his group. I think it was almost, it might have been a thousand plus patients. I can't remember offhand, but they basically did came up with an algorithm based on the plaque, how much calcified it was and so forth of when you should use a distal protection device. So that's an interesting paper that they wrote. But again, this is all anecdotal. We don't really know when to use it. It's an experience thing. Some people never use it and they say they swear by it. Others use it all the time. They swear by it. So I think it's an experience thing that you just have to come up with on your own. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, I started using it, but then I stopped using as much laser once, you know, we got Rotorex, but, um, I definitely was using EPDs. They're just because of anecdotal, right? You get some anecdotal cases that they yep. go like that. Then you, you change your practice. I'm obviously going to ask the most controversial, um, uh, part of atherectomy. And it's, you know, I, I know you guys, you had, you knew it was coming, but um, a lot of people talk about the financial incentive to do atherectomy and that leading to abuse. Um, and what that means is that, you know, atherectomy reimburses really, really well, uh, whether you're in the hospital or in the office-based labs like you are. How is, is that, uh, what would you comment about that leading to abuse and how to kind of, how would you fix that? Or is it just a problem that we have? Well, I, look, at the end of the day, you could make the same comment about stenting as well, right? You get paid better for stenting uh, an SFA or an artery than you do for just doing standard angioplasty. You know, so then do we do away with stents? I think there are certain indications and important reasons of when you should place a stent. Again, I think with atherectomy, there's enough data out there in terms of feasibility, safety, that it does make a difference in terms of helping you with an acute result where you may have failed otherwise using less stents, you know, having less dissections, less perforations, et cetera, that I think you can make the case that atherectomy is another one of those things that is needed. Can you abuse it? Sure. You can abuse it just like stents. So we don't get rid of stents. So, you know, why should you get rid of atherectomy, right? 
It's a great point. And, and you're going to have bad, bad apples everywhere in every field, every specialty and every career path. And so we've got some bad operators that abuse it and they make, they make it bad for all of us who try to be a little bit more uh, thoughtful in terms of how we use it as a vessel prep device, right? That's, yeah. At least that's my opinion. No, that's a great point. That's a great point. I mean, Omar, anything else you would add about that? Yeah, no, not not really. I mean, I think I totally agree with Shrini. Like, uh, there's going to be bad operators that are going to be just uh, probably, you know, but I mean, I think I think majority of the people have, uh, you know, good sense and, you know, to, to do it ethically fashion, you know, because uh, I mean, you're going to have that type of financial pe- people with that type of, you know, motives, right? So, I mean, but you, that shouldn't allow that, that, that shouldn't get rid of, you know, what we're trying to do with atherectomy or stenting and types of interventions on these sick patients. So right. totally. I mean, yeah. I think, you know, like, like Srini mentioned too, I mean, when we have used atherectomy, we have definitely, you know, seen less dissections, better vessel prep, um, you know, and, and, you know, better, you know, outcomes from just anecdotal, uh, evidence. So, I mean, the abuse, the bad apples will be there, but as long as, you know, all of us are doing the right thing, it's, it's, uh, it's there to stay. Any other technologies you, either of you guys know that's kind of out there upcoming, uh, for atherectomy? Uh, I mean, none, the, none that I'm familiar okay. with and maybe Omar, how about you, Omar? No, I mean, uh, you know, Shockwave's great, right? I have, I have little experience with it, but I don't use that much, but there's like some other devices that we use that, you know, that might help some of these like really sick patients, like uh, some things that like serenader balloon comes mm-hmm. to mind, you know, where like we have these like tibials with you do atherectomy, angioplasty, you still get recoil or not good uh, runoff then you, you know, so I've had some success with some of these other like, you know, specialty balloons, whether you, it's like serenader or it's like some people have talked mm-hmm. about chocolate balloon, things like that. So, um, you know, that's one thing I, I like to use. The other thing I use a lot is uh, like angioscope balloons, like uh, for ISR, um, where if the atherectomy or, you know, say you do rotorex, angioplasty, you don't get a good luminal gain in some of these areas that are really tight, then I'll go in there with like a big, like an angioscope balloon, go up to like, you know, 20 atmospheres or something like that to kind of oh, wow. get a better result. So that's so some of those type of things I use in the OBL. And, you know, you, you want to keep your costs low, but... One of the advantages of it being like my practice, I can kind of do it her whole end, which is nice. But that may not be may not be for every, you know, for all the OBL operators where you have to really kind of look at cost. So, you know, so things like Shockwave, sure. Serenator, these Angioscope, you know, these are pretty expensive devices. So, but I, I, you know, it's nice to have when you need it. So, yeah, I think Sabine. Also, we got to think about it. You know, for especially for the trainees out there that. We're really talking about vessel prep, right? Vessel prep before definitive therapy. And that could be a sculpting balloon, like the ones that Omar talked about. It can be standard angioplasty, which most of us, I think, don't do as much as we did in the past. And then obviously it can be any one of these atherectomy devices. And even though Shockwave doesn't have an atherectomy indication right now, it does have, you know, it is a vessel prep device, right? It, it causes micro fractures of the calcium and the intima and the media. The idea is that it softens it. So now when you angioplasty at a low pressure, you're pushing it off to the side and, it, you know, getting luminal gain. So I think, uh, and, and even that one, although it's not often, that still has some reports of you know, some distal embo, very rare, but it, but many operators who use it very heavily and are, are experienced in it do tell me that they have seen a few cases of that as well. So 
Again, I think embolization is a problem with all of them. It's not common, but it does happen. And I think thinking of it as a bigger category of vessel prep with sculpting balloons, atherectomy, and then shockwave in there uh, is probably a good way to think about it, you know, in terms of big picture for, for people that are just learning. That's great. Yeah, big picture. I mean, you know, we did mention um, in the beginning, you know, what is atherectomy as far as debulking, but we mentioned plaque modification. I mean, all I think the whole thing centers around modifying the plaque so that your intervention will um, cause less complications or it will, you know, result in less dissections, perforations, et cetera, um, and, and lead to better outcomes. So that's a very good point, Srini and, and Omar. And uh, yeah, I mean, that concludes kind of the questions I had for you guys for atherectomy. Anything, you gave a really good point there, Srini. Anything, Omar, you want to tell listeners about atherectomy or, or anything about, you know, any words of wisdom from your side? Um, you know, I think atherectomy is great, you know, in the OBL space, um, you know, you really want to, you really don't have that much of a backup, right? You want to use, you want to use it and, you know, there's, so there's always those, those times where you can have a complication. So I guess to the listeners who are in the OBL space, you know, kind of plan accordingly, you know, don't, you know, if it's like a very tough, challenging case, maybe take that one to the hospital or have some devices uh, in your OBL space, such as like aspiration devices or bailouts, uh, covered stents and things like that. So, you know, you're not having to transfer the patient, you know, if, if something were to happen. So that's kind of, uh, but I think atherectomy is great. And I'm not saying that's just from atherectomy alone. I mean, that could happen when you're doing any type of yep. uh, uh, totally. lower extremity procedure yep. on the patient. So, uh, but, but I think, you know, in the, with the right, you know, in the right patient, I think atherectomy is a great tool to get the, you know, blood flow to the limbs. Yeah. You know? And I think, awesome. you know, Sabine, I think in general, you know, everybody always asks, which one should I use? What should I use? How many should I get? And I think, you know, Omar laid it out at the very beginning, you know, do you have soft, how am I going to deal with soft plaque? How am I going to deal with calcified plaque? How am I going to deal with ISR or the combo thereof? And pick your devices on that and whatever you choose, become an expert at it. You don't have to have all of them. I mean, look at Omar. He's doing great work. He's got a couple devices. You know, I only use a couple devices too. You only use a couple devices when you do use them. So I think, you know, most people, that's how you have to function. Awesome. Awesome. Great words of wisdom, guys. I, and it was, it was really fun having both of you on and <laughs> learning about this. I mean, it's honestly, it's a tough topic. And very you, tough, know, yeah. you could have separate topics about each device and how to use it, yeah. right? I, you know, it's, uh, there's a lot to cover. But um, in, uh, as an overview, I think we really touched all of our topics. So thank you guys. Thanks for taking the time being here, teaching our listeners. Uh, Karen, thanks for doing, um, to, to make us sound really great. And to the rest yeah. of the back table team, thank you so much. Uh, we look forward to having you guys on again in the future. Thank you. Thanks guys, appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at at underscore Backtable on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Backtable is produced and hosted by myself, Aaron Fritz, and co-hosts Chris Beck, Sabine Don, Michael Barraza, and Ali Behetti. Our audio team lead is Karen Gannon with support from Caleb Hodson, Josh McWhirter, and Ness Smith-Savadoff. 
Design and Digital Marketing, led by Brian Schmitz. Article and transcript support by Taylor Robinson. And Delaney Aguilar. Social Media and PR by Anne Dang. Intro and extra music is Ripperoo by Skeptic Moon. Find us on Spotify or at local live music venues in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.